Well, good morning to everyone. How was breakfast? I was not able to be here. I hope you take time, some time, to personally thank Brother Ron for all that he does for us this week. It's not a little job, as I'm sure you are aware of, and many of you probably have that done already. So do remember to thank the cooks for the way they have been serving us. Well, our topic this morning before us is courtship. And our burden for this is that knowing that it's the Lord's will for man to find a partner, find a mate, get married, and as it says there in Genesis, to replenish the earth. And that probably for most of you here, generally speaking, you will probably be at that place one day. Not everyone gets married, but many do. But our burden this morning is that we could do it in such a way that uh, it would be according to God's plan. This beautiful thing of two people coming together, finding each other, if you will, in our day and age has really been messed up. I'm sure you know that. People call it dating, the dating game or however they go about to do it, but it's very messed up and you can see the results of, of that. You don't have to look around very far till you see that something is very, very wrong and how this all happens and how they go about to make this happen. And of course, they're off the very foundation of Jesus Christ to begin with, so they don't stand a very good chance, do they? Even as Christians, we have the carnal nature to deal with and unless you come to grips with uh, knowing what it means to die to self, even as a Christian, you're going to face some pretty serious challenges in marriage, even as a Christian. Well, take that into a non-Christian home. I just can't imagine how it might be. But you know what? Some of those out there, it does seem to do a pretty good job of it. You know, they get a hold of some, some of these principles, even though they're not Christians. And even though they may be few nowadays, there's a few out there that can say we've been together for 50 years, non-Christians. Isn't that amazing? I think that's amazing. But because of the world that we live in and the practice that we mostly see around us of how people go at it to find a, a mate, uh, we can't deny that uh, we have been impacted by that and infected by that. And even in some cases, the church has lost the vision of godly courtship, and they go about it almost the same way. So our goal this morning is to lift up something much better than that, to, prom to promote something much more God-honoring and 
God-pleasing, I believe. Even though if you start looking for some clear texts on godly courtship, they are a bit few in the Bible. So uh, we basically do this built upon Bible principles. And uh, in going about in helping you find a life partner. For courtship, godly courtship, what we want to lift up and promote here this morning has been a positive and a very good experience for many, many young couples. I can attest to that, not in my own life, unfortunately, but I have seen it over and over again. Even though I was spared from a lot, I did not have this kind of teaching that you will get here this morning and have access to even probably before today. But there may be some here who, or that you know of, who had this kind of teaching and knew about godly courtship and somehow lost their way and neglected it. And you might know their testimonies that have, they have since regretted for neglecting something that they could have had that was much more beautiful than what they've experienced themselves. There's testimonies like that out there. So let's uh, begin with prayer here, and then we're going to open the Bible. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we come before you. As all the topics this week are important, this one is also very important to you, Lord, the finding of a mate. Lord, we have a few examples in the Bible how men went about to do this, Lord, and, and the blessing of when they did it God's way. Lord, I pray that's what we can lift up this morning, to do it God's way, and not to follow the lust of the flesh or to do that which is right in our own eyes and uh, disobey your, your uh, principles that you have given to us. Father, I think of these young men and young ladies sitting here, their future before them as far as, as, far as marriage is concerned, Lord, you know, you know where each one of these will be in 10 years from now, in 20 years from now, in five years from now. Lord, you know, God. And I pray, Lord, that, that with that, we, we ask you, since you do know, Lord, that you would help us to guide these young people into your will for their lives, Lord, and not miss the mark that you have for them. Father, thank you that it's your will that, that uh, people marry and replenish the earth and show forth a godly testimony. And even in, like it says in the New Testament, that it would be a type of, of Christ and the church. Lord, that's what we want to lift up this morning. I believe that's probably what these young people's desires are. So I pray, Lord, help me to teach according to your will, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. We'll briefly look at <clears throat> this beautiful picture here in Genesis chapter 2, <clears throat> where the first two people came together.
God had said in verse 18 that it is not good that a man should be alone. Of Genesis 2, I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them and what soever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to all the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and they shall cleave unto and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Just briefly here on this portion, I hope I'm not reading into it too much. I know other men have done this, but just a few thoughts I'd like to draw out of this. I'm sure we can relate to, to it. We have in... Verse 20, Adam giving names to the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then it comes down where I believe it dawned on him and he realized that all these animals and everything he had given names to were by pairs. And it was a female and a male. And it seems like it dawned on him at that point and maybe he thought about it before, but... It says it here that there was not found an help meet for him. And Adam was sensing his need. And then God causes the deep sleep to, to uh, come upon him and he falls asleep. Well, let me back up and just make a point on that first one before I go any further. As far as sensing the need... We as human beings, I think, wake up to the need of a mate or the, uh, the, uh, there's, there's something in us for a, a partner or for a mate long before we would be ready to have one. And so we see that here, I think Adam was ready, but he sensed the need and then God caused a sleep to fall upon him. So there was a short period of waiting there in Adam's life, the same as it is for us. Just because we feel that need doesn't mean that it's right for us to immediately have that need met. There's a waiting time. The next thing I want to see is that the beautiful thing here is that God created one specifically for him. I don't think that God forgot about Adam. He didn't forget, but I think he wanted it to be super special. He decided to wait to make this indistinct of everything else. That even to Adam, he knows that this one is specifically created 
for me. I think that is very beautiful. He created one specifically for him. Not only did he create one specifically for him, but he uniquely created one from him. That's beautiful. He created one from him. He took a rib from his side and created one from him. And then we have God bringing her to him. In verse 22, and the Lord God brought her unto the man. I think that was even a little different than the animals. He brought her to him. And then we have Adam's response and his attraction. You can almost hear it in his words when he says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. There's an attraction there's a response to God bringing her to him. It's beautiful. And we have Adam taking her and naming her. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And he takes her to him, and they cleave and are, are one, perfectly one. Adam didn't date. He didn't have an option. There weren't any others. You know, Jesus, he referred back to different times in his talking to the Pharisees, like by saying, as it was in the beginning. And he sets the record straight again. And we often use that when, when we're talking to people about divorce and remarriage. But think about this as far as even dating. I don't want to take this too far. But, but I think if you're serious with God, I think if you practice a walk with God, and we'll cover that more a little later, but if you get to know God in your single life, you keep yourself pure. You're, you're a friend of God. You love God. You are serving God. Why wouldn't he bring the right one to you? I know sometimes we, you know, boys get no when they make their request, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I think God would have it more to be this way, to wait on him, and trust him to bring the one to you. Without playing the dating game, which we'll talk about more later. I have four points I want to look at this morning with some sub points. The first one is things to have in place long before courtship. The second one is things to avoid that will spare you a lot of shame and pain. Third one is when to pursue courtship. And the fourth one is guiding principles. So we need to keep going. 
things to have in place long before courtship. I, I listened to quite a few messages on courtship and did a lot of thinking and praying and studying. And most of the others, when they taught on this, they, they had two or three messages. So I can't do that this morning. So I'm just going to give you just on some of these areas, we could talk a lot more on and maybe should, but we won't. But I'm just going to give it to you and you put it in there and hopefully it'll be enough to give you, to get you on the right track if you're not. And again, I also wanted to say that the things I'll say today may be new to some here, but I just ask that you open your heart and consider it. And also the things that I say today may be old to some of you, and you may be thinking, yeah, we've heard godly courtship now for quite a while, and, you know, I'm not sure about all that. In fact, some are deciding it's not so important any, anymore, and they're kind of throwing away some of these things that we've been holding up over the years. And I would like for you to reconsider if you've been one of those that thought, well, maybe, maybe it's not quite that important, some of these things. I really think it is. Things to have in place long before courtship. Things that you should be practicing right now, especially as a, as a 16, 17-year-old and even up from there. But you should be, if you, if you want to get, if you want to enter into a courtship someday, you, you need to begin now to practice to be under your parents' authority. You want to endeavor to develop a loving and respectful relationship with your parents. You've heard some of that this week before, but particularly as you look down the road and consider courtship possibly sometime, you want to have this one in place because you're going to need it when you come to that place and it may be too late then if you haven't laid the foundation. So get this one right. You want to be your, your parents' friends. You want to have a loving relationship with them. You want to have given them your heart at one time or another, where you say, I want you to watch over me. I, I'm giving you my heart so I don't have one to give away prematurely. You know what I mean? You won't be able to play with your heart and let your feelings go and because... Technically, your parents have your heart. Very important. Sometime in your life, long before you are ready for courtship, you give your parents your heart. And you open yourself up and desire that they speak into your life. Solomon said, A wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. So you want to be one that has this one mastered, and we'll hear more about this later. Another area you want to get down is this matter of uh, authority outside the home. Church authority, government authority. You want to learn to be under authority because sooner than you think, you'll be in authority. And if you haven't learned well to be under authority, you'll struggle to be in authority. You'll struggle to be in authority. One very familiar Bible verse, and there's be many, says, Obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. 
You want to come to the place where you can appreciate the church. You're a member of the church. You love the brother. You love the brotherhood like the Bible says. You respect its leaders. You welcome even their care and concern and guidance into your life as a young person. You want to get this one down before you pursue courtship. The second point under this one is maturity. Paul told the Corinthians, when I became a man, I put away childish things. When I became a man, I put away childish things. You know, this boyfriend, girlfriend stuff that sometimes children play around with? Put that away. Put it away. Get it out of your life. Don't go down that road, you know, poking fun and pairing up people in jokes and all of that. Just don't go there. Go way beyond that. When I became a man, when I became a woman, I put away childish things. The Apostle John, the loving Apostle John that walked with Jesus, he, wrote, he writes to you, young men, and I believe it applies to you, young women. He says, I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. It's important that at one point in your life you come to the place where you say, you know what? This is enough. I got to grow up. I got to get a grip on life. And I have seen young men, and you might have too, where you can see when that happens. You know, they might, they're walking with God. They're learning. But there comes a day in their life when all of a sudden they're settled. I know what that looks like, and I'm sure you might too. And no, they're not perfect, but there's something different. They have put away childish things. And they know where their strength lies. And they know their strength is in the word of God and the principles of God. And they know they have a devil to overcome. And they know they can't play games with him. And they know the seriousness of marriage ahead of them. And when they think about that, of being a leader, a godly leader, and you might have come out of a home that wasn't so good, and one thing you know you want is not to repeat the process over again, Right? And therefore, you've got to do something different. Then maybe your parents did, and maybe they didn't know about this kind of teaching. As far as maturity goes, you need an unaided devotion to God. If you can't have your devotions consistently and walk with God consistently through the thick and the thin, you're not ready for courtship. You need an unaided devotion to God. You need, a, you need moral fortitude. You need some grit when it comes to standing up for what is right. You need backbone, as we might say. I will not go there. I will not say that. I will not buy that. I will not look at that. I will not listen to that. You need some moral fortitude quite a while before you're ready to court. You need to know what it is to have the joy of the Lord in your life because it's your strength. You need to know that you're walking with God. 
We'll have a little more to say on those lines later, but going on now to point number two, things to avoid that will spare you a lot of shame and a lot of pain. And we're going to look now here in this section of ways how you should not relate to each other. Paul told Timothy, as far as it goes in relating to young women, he said, you relate to young women as sisters, and I take that to mean sisters in the Lord, with all purity. Think about that. With all purity. Timothy was a young man. He said, I want you to relate to young women as sisters with all purity. We're going to lift the standard up pretty high. This would eliminate what we know today as flirting. What does the word flirt mean? It means to court triflingly. To express emotions of love without serious intent. To play at love. To toy with love. Now get this. To go from flower to flower. That's what it means to flirt. That about broke my heart when I saw that, when I realized that. To go from flower to flower. You take a little bit from this flower, this pure flower... And you, you play at those emotions and you get them, you know, to rise up and, and something happens inside your heart and something happens inside her heart. And then you move on to the next one and you do the same thing over again. You take a little bit out of her and she takes a little bit out of you and then you go on to the next one. It's just like a hummingbird going from one flower to the next. You don't want to do that. Flirting. To court triflingly. There's nothing serious about it. Maybe you don't know what flirting, where it, where it all begins, and that sometimes is, is that's something very good for us to consider this morning. What exactly, how does flirting look? Do I have to be talking about loving each other to make it flirting? Not really. This may seem very innocent in its beginnings, but it progresses to unrestrained conversations to non-sober and foolish communications. The results are in the midst, the results are in the midst of these activities, listen now, deep down inside, emotions are touched. No one else knows it. This can happen in a, in a, in a youth group. But by us conducting our conversations wrongly, unrestrained, Foolishly, too much lightheartedness, too free with each other. We get these feelings stirred up. And we're touching a flower that we should not be touching. And it happens maybe innocently, ignorantly, but I believe that's what it is. That's what it can be. The next, one, the next word we want to look at is to defraud. The Bible word, it means to be covetous, to overreach, to take advantage of, to deceive or a trick a person into giving up a valuable possession. And in this case, it's an emotion. 
to stir up desires that cannot lawfully be fulfilled. These things need to be guarded, protected, and kept asleep. How about this one? Inordinate affection. You know that we should have our affection set on things above. You know that it would be wrong for me as a married man to have my affections go to someone other than my wife. And the Bible would call that, if I do that, inordinate affection. What is inordinate? Let's consider that. Inordinate means out of limit, out of order, unrestrained. In other words, it's not right for you to stir up the other one. It's not right for you to conversate and interact with, with, with each other to such a way where you begin to, to, uh, to overreach yourself or you're, you're entering ground that is out of limit. When there's this kind of relating going between boys and girls, affections wake up. You like this one, and then that one, and then that one, and then this one. And you leave, in some, some cases, a whole trail of scars. I want you to avoid that. Dating? What does dating mean? Temporarily. Temporary romantic relationships. Entering into a close relationship long before one is pre prepared for marriage. That's the normal idea of dating. Many are the young people who thought they could handle, they could govern activity like this. Only to find out, shamefully and regretfully, they couldn't by playing the dating game. The Bible says that put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. And I believe the dating game would fall under that category. You're not serious about marriage. You're not serious about this one being even your life partner. And so you just kind of play around. You go out for a fling and, you know, that may not be happening so much here in our circles. But don't let it happen even in your heart. Paul told Timothy, flee youthful us, follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Make no provision for the flesh. Listen now. It is God's will for you to be a virgin, both physically and emotionally. Aim for that one. Keep yourselves completely. Spare yourself the pain and someone else the pain 
of allowing these strong emotions to be stirred up prematurely before the time. Proverbs reminds us that we should keep our hearts with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. If you want to err on this one, I would say err on the, on the safe side. Don't err on the, uh, on the dangerous side. Don't see how close to the edge you can get. Why did Johnny fall out of bed? Because he got too close to the edge. Why do you, many young couples regret, have regrets? Because they got too close to the edge. And their passions were inflamed. And they had regrets that they could never change. Okay, number three. When to pursue courtship. How do I know when it's time to ask a young lady to start courtship? I think for the, for the most part, I know there are some exceptions in this, but I think for the most part, and I believe it would, the Bible would, would uh, give uh, support to that, that it would be the young man's responsibility to do the asking. So when does a young man know when it's time to ask a young lady to start a courtship? That's big stuff, isn't it? I remember, this is going to change my life. Is this really the one? I was insecure and unsure. And even though I didn't have a lot of these things in place, but it's big stuff, isn't it? And to a godly, especially to a godly, sincere young man, he wants to do it right. And I'm sure there's some of you here like that today. You take a young man who consistently walked with God. He was just fine the way things were. He found joy in walking with God. He was at peace. He was fulfilled. He was satisfied. He is serving the Lord. Maybe he spent some time on the mission field and he's having a great time. You know, and this thing might go through his head every now and then, but he just stays focused and he's pouring his heart out to serve the Lord. And sometimes out of nowhere comes this question or this thought or this young lady keeps coming to his mind and he starts realizing this is time to do something. Is God trying to get my attention? That's how it happens sometimes. Or, you know, he might come and speak with his parents and say, you know, I've been thinking about this. What do you think? And we'll look more at that a little later. But he begins to wake up. He begins to feel a shift. He begins to feel that God might be calling him to marriage. That is so different than a young well, one of his friends coming up to him and, and saying, hey, have you considered so-and-so? Take her out for a date. Totally different. I recommend this one. Amen? I recommend this one. The interesting thing about it, this young lady might or she might not have been, but she might have been in his life all the time. He never noticed her. One day, whatever. Looks the other way. Can't look at her because something's going on. 
But because he has chose to keep his heart, he hadn't noticed her before. In whatever way it comes about, in whatever way it comes about that you want to start a courtship, here's the first thing you should do. Go to your parents. If you don't have godly parents, or even if you don't have godly parents, you should still go to them if there's any kind of relationship there. But you may want to go to other Christians in your life, elders, brothers, and so on. And you could ask them, tell them, this is what's going on. This is what's happening in my life. Do you think I'm ready? What do you think? Am I man enough? I should be looking over here. Am I man enough? Am I mature? Paul told Timothy to be an example. Think about this in your own life. Be an example of the believers in word. How's your speech? In conversation, how's your walk of life? In charity, how's the outflow of love in your heart toward others? In spirit, can you get yourself going in the morning? Can you get a prayer meeting going? In spirit, you'll need it in your home. You'll need to get up there in the morning and start praying. You need spirit. Be an example in spirit, in faith, in purity. High calling, it's God's. It's God's standard. And you need to consider it. Do you have any concerns with me? There are certain qualities that a young man simply needs to have before he's, he starts courtship. Number one, we all know this. He needs to be a Christian. He needs to be committed to to authority, submit it. And what is his idea and, and view of family life? As you think of courtship, are you in it for what you can get out of it or are you counting the cost? Are you committed to be a leader, a protector, a provider? Yeah, needs to be there. You should have an intimate walk with God prior to marriage. For you, long, for you young, young ladies, what about you? There are certain qualities that need to be in your life before you are ready to court as well. And number one, of course, you need to be a Christian. You need to be one that fears God. And you need to be one that is established in being under authority. You need to be one who is endeavoring to exhibit a meek and quiet spirit. You'll want that in your home. You don't need two leaders in your home. You need a follower. And you do this by, be, by being of a meek and quiet spirit and in learning to adorn yourself with that spirit. You need to be one that is committed to be a keeper at home and loves children and and. and and be a woman of godly virtue and character, given to hospitality, loving to be around people. These are some of the things that need to be there before you say, yes, let's start courting. 
So the young man is clear. His dad is clear. His authorities are clear. He goes to her dad. He gives him some time to pray about it. At this point, listen, you're still very neutral. There's no emotions wrapped up here yet. You're not all tied up in this girl. That if you do get a no, it'll just totally devastate you. Might be hard, and that's understandable, but, but you're still very neutral. Even though you have prayed about it, your authorities were clear, the answer still could be no. And you're, you're okay with that. Her dad may talk to your dad. He may talk to your elders. And there's some going back and forth about these two people that want to are considering spending their life together till death does part them. And if the answer is no, he takes that as from the Lord. And if the answer is yes, then he starts a courtship with her. At this point, while there may be mutual respect for each other, that would vary as to how well they knew each other. There may be deeper feelings for each other right off the beginning there, if they know, knew each other very well. But get this, the driving factor is not a romantic, I would like to have some fun with you mentality. Amen? That is not the driving factor here. That's the last and the least and the one that needs the, most, the least attention. You get everything else in place, that, one, that other, the romantic one, would take care of itself. To start a godly courtship is to, now here we're going to give you the definition of what it means to court, is to pay devoted attention to in order to win favor. This is now so opposite than, or unlike the trifling, temporary, playing at love type of dating. Amen? It's so different. This one, there's a price to pay and he knows it. I got to win this girl's favor. I got to pay some devoted attention to this relationship. This one will pay devoted, committed attention to, let me read this. Unlike the trifling, temporary, playing at love type of dating, this one will pay devoted, committed attention to with marriage clearly in mind. Very important. Courtship is a commitment to honor God as you seek a life partner and to protect both individuals in the process of confirming God's will. It focuses on obedience to the principles of God's word and the fulfillment of his plan in the lives of the man and woman. It honors the authorities he has placed in your lives and provides the unique protection they can offer you. That's what courtship is. Courtship is a choice. To wait for God's best. For his glory, it is a decision to walk by faith, to trust in God, to honor others above yourselves. And as we follow God's plan, we have confidence that God will deal bountifully with me if I do it that way. Amen? Because God is love 
And he has your best in mind, let me assure you. So you have that in place. She said yes. They might have exchanged the letter. And soon and very soon, the, uh, both families, both parties get together, both parents and the couple. And that brings us to our fourth and last point. And in this meeting, along with many other fun things, um, there are guidelines, guiding principles, if I can call them that, set for the two young people to assure them that the, to assure them the most rewarding and safest journey through their courtship. By the way, I don't think I gave you my title. That word there reminded me of it. The title is My Journey to Marriage. So anyway, that's the title. But so here we sit down with this young couple and we help them draw up a little plan that will assure them the most rewarding and safe, safest journey through their courtship to their wedding day. Okay, let's talk about guiding principles here. Okay, our first one is, would be taken from 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearance of evil, would be the, the scripture. And, and the guiding principle, the principle would, would be that we are, as parents here, we are committed to protect the both of you in every way we can by helping you set up these guidelines, by giving you some... Uh, Guidelines to protect your physical purity as well as your emotional purity. That's the purpose for these guiding principles. We might say things like, don't drive alone together. Take a chaperone along. We might talk about how much they should correspond. We might talk about where they should have their their time together, you know, not in a room off all by themselves with the door closed and things like that. Uh, and a whole list of things could be given there, but that becomes a guiding principle for their courtship. It's for their good. Number two, we talk about the second principle is Use this as a time to build each other's characters. Courtship should be a time of building each other's character rather than focusing on physical attraction. Did you get that? Look for ways you can complement each other for character qualities displayed. The Bible says in Galatians 5.22 and following, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If ye live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And, and so you dwell on these types of things and not on 
the physical part of it. Character qualities. And you use this as a time to build each other up and to get to know each other on a more of a social level, if you will. Number three, coming back to the point of defrauding, maybe having a little more to say here now, since now we have a young couple together and they're courting, defrauding each other. To defraud another person is to stir up them, stir up in them desires that cannot be righteously satisfied. A woman can defraud a man by the way that she dresses, talks, or acts. A man can defraud a woman by improper touching or by talking about marital commitments that he is not able or intending to carry out. Failure to safeguard your affections can result in disaster. If you don't settle these issues before temptations come, inevitably you will make the choice that you will regret. As you carefully... As you choose to carefully guard against inappropriate emotional attachment and physical intimacy, you can avoid much heartache and pain. This is where we get the idea and the thought from hands-off courtship. And that's what it means. To go to that point, many think, well, we just want to hold hands, but... Many will say it didn't stop there. And so you put this guiding principle of not defrauding each other into place, and you call it hands-off courtship. Some don't touch at all, not even a handshake. Some might choose to do that. But be careful with that. Hands-off, the principle behind hands-off is to not defraud, okay? That's the point. So there's many ways you can touch and bump into each other without your hands. So the point is beyond just not touching with the hands. It's not sitting with your knees together and you do the same thing when you do that. The point is not defrauding, not stirring each other up too soon. That's the point. That's a guiding principle. So be careful. Put that one in place. Hands-off courtship. That may sound ridiculous to some, but I ask you to consider it. And to others, it may sound like, well, it's kind of old hat. We've had it around for so long, and some are not doing it anymore. Some of, some of our own, some of us, some that have come to Bible school have disregarded this principle. I would beg with you, don't follow that example. It's going to be very plain with you. Don't follow that example. Okay, number four. The serious business principle. Number four, the serious business principle principle. The Bible says, but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. You will find, if you maintain a, a more serious 
Bible-based relationship and put the put the uh, the 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 physical and the lighter side aside, you will find that you will be better able to communicate about the about the uh, even some difficulties that you might have in your courtship. You will lay it out on the table. You will be able to have more mature discussions and working through real life issues, disappointments. You will probably disappoint each other. And if you have an all fun, cheap kind of relationship, those things are hard to talk about. But if you're committed and you do something that offends your partner, is she going to be able to lay it on the table and talk about it? This is the all business principle. You're building relationships because it's going to happen in your marriage. Courtship is the time when you prepare yourself for a successful marriage. As a couple experiences the joys of deepening friendships, they will also face many challenges. There will come a time when they may encounter conflicts in their relationship. If this happens, don't just overlook it, but determine to resolve them immediately. And you will be better able to if you have this kind of relationship that I'm talking about than if you have the other. I promise you. Number five, how long should a courtship be? That may vary. That may vary with each couple. But I would recommend not too long. There are practical reasons for keeping courtship short and not extending it longer than, necess than is necessary. Obviously, as the couple's hearts are knit together through their deepening friendship, it will become more and more challenging to manage emotional attachments. As long, a long courtship can be confusing and frustrating, especially if you're trying to keep yourself pure, often leading to disillusionment. The couple should seriously, earnestly seek God's direction to move forward to the commitment of engagement in marriage. And if the direction is confirmed by the parents or, or mentors involved. They should joyfully take these steps. Marriage is a part of God's plan for most of his children. As is evidenced clearly in scripture, the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And whoso findeth a, a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor from the Lord. So I think it should be not too long. If you're very serious about it, it shouldn't have to be like it was for me and my wife three years. That's all we knew. And there's even been longer ones than that, but it's not good. <clears throat> not good. I hope you can take this and think about it. Make it what you make it make it what what you what you need. How can I say that? Don't follow the example of the world is what I'm trying to say. Don't go the dating route. <clears throat> In courtship you are pursuing one of the most beautiful relationships between a man 
and woman that God has created. And we want it to be a blessing to you, not only now, but also in the future. May God add his blessing. I hope you have a good time talking about this down there. God bless you. I think I'll leave it with that.